It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh, and I am extremely excited to be having a conversation right now with playwright, actor, auteur, professor. Like, I'm, I'm going to lose a few adjectives that are needed to describe Anna DeBeer Smith, but that is who I'm talking to this morning. Thank you so much for being here. I'm happy to be here with you. I'm very happy to see your play being reimagined at the Signature Theater. Twilight, Los Angeles, 1992, uh, is a kaleidoscopic look at the uh, uprising in LA following the beating of Rodney King. It's a 20-year-old play. And when I heard that it was coming back, I was like, oh, perfect. This is exactly what we need right now. <laughs> so, so talk about what Twilight means in, in 2021. Right, actually, and, and it's more than a 20-year-old play because it was written in 1993. And I think what it means now is uh, just for, on the journalistic, um, from a journalistic point of view, uh, people have so fresh in their minds still the murder of George Floyd. And we saw uh, him being strangled um, because someone had a, a, a cell phone video of it. And what happened in 1992 was that Rodney King was a motorist who was stopped by the LAPD and he was beaten. And it was captured on video by a man, George Holiday, who was still trying to figure out how to use his video camera. And if it weren't for that, we would not have had um, at least briefly, a sort of understanding of how some people in our country live, which is under surveillance and in constant threat of being pulled over or beaten. And so uh, again, this happened, but more graphically with a cell phone video that was steady and in color. Uh, and, you know, I don't need to tell you, I'm sure on your very show, you had all kinds of discussions, not just about um, about police, but also about race in this country. And so sadly, Twilight is still relevant. And it's also relevant because I, I, I created it not just about uh, the black and white sort of binary, to use a currently used word, um, way that we think about race in, in the country. The Korean American community, many Korean American shop owners, stores were burned down and looted during the uprising, and also the Latinx, we now call Latinx population, then the Latino population uh, really um, participated in what uh, one of the people who I interviewed, Hector Tobar, calls a, a poverty riot that happened. So that Twilight shows a more complex uh, view of America in race. And that view is, I think, also um, a view that we have now because Asian Americans stopped on the streets and uh, hit, beaten, uh, and also the immigration story in terms of what is going on with the Latinx community. So that's a very, very long answer to your question. No, but it's, I mean, you, you hit on five or six things that I really wanted to talk about today. I, I think the thing that, I, you know, it's, it, it's important it's impossible not to connect with your earlier works with Twilight or Fires in the Mirror. Um, 
without first and foremost focusing on on your own talent. Like you're you're watching one person embody countless characters of age, race, gender, which which now I think is is a fairly problematic thing. We sort of recognize that if you are playing against your own racial type, if you're playing against your own gender type, that that could be stereotyping, that that could be not the right mood for inclusivity, for representation, that we have to be thoughtful about those kinds of things. But watching this story be told by a single person using dozens of different voices, it, it sort of, it winds up making the case that I think a lot of social justice conversations are trying to make today, which is that our liberation is entirely bound up with each other and mine is yours and yours is mine. And having all of those voices filtered through a single human kind of reminds us all of the universality of, of experience and, and really does make you see these different voices as, as different sides of what is ultimately like the same human story. So I wanted to ask you about, about the, the moving away from the one woman showness of it all. This cast has five cast members. You do still occasionally play against your own racial or gender type, um, but it's not just the one voice anymore. So were you worried about maintaining that like thread of humanity that we are all bound together by having five people take on these different roles? Oh, no, not at all. And originally, this way of working, which I began in the early 80s, uh, you know, simply for your audiences who who may know about me from the West Wing or Blackish or Nurse Jackie, but have no idea what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even going to mention. I mean, I love the West Wing. I love Blackish. I mean, you're a great actor, but I'm oh, like, but, let's get you know, the so, You know, I really live in this experiment that I've been doing in the theater all these years, which is to go around the country and interview people and then represent them word for word. My grandfather said uh, to me when I was a kid, if you say a word often enough, it becomes you. And in a way, it was a reaction uh, against growing up in an environment, you know, segregated then, it's still segregated now in Baltimore, just a different way we think about it, you know, that, that, that rather than believing that I belonged in one place, right, I decided to become America word for word. And that was the project. But originally, I, my first one I did with 20 actors. And that was the original goal. So I have a company that did that. But I couldn't figure out how I would, how to raise money. And I remembered, I literally like remembered, uh, oh, I was a mimic when I was a kid. So I'll just do all the roles <laughs> oh, for one now. Of the breast impressionists and I had just forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'll just do all the roles for now, but I'll eventually have a company. And uh, I was just thrilled um, when Paige uh, Evans, who is the artistic director of the Signature Theater, um, you know, invited me to be a resident playwright and to take two of my classic plays, if I should use a word like that, Fires and Twilight. And she actually said, and she, she, she knows I talk about her like this. She, she, she wanted one person for Fires. Uh, I would have maybe liked to have two, but, you know, budget, nonprofit. And she said, well, for Twilight, we'll have to have more than one because who could learn all those lines? Um, <laughs> which I did. I did. <laughs> um, but I'm thrilled to have a company of actors. They are wonderful and crazy about them. And um, I do think uh, that it's not one or the other. If somebody ever, you know, that hears this wants to do my show as a one person show, you know, let's talk about it. I think that actually seeing 
in this case, five individuals, a white man, a black woman, a black man, an Asian American man, and a Latin next woman, I think it does perhaps illustrate this sort of racial patterning that we have. Because in the end, what is race? It's a false, it's not science. It really is that we look differently. So um, anyway, that's another long answer. Like it was a long question. There, these are all going to be long questions. <laughs> Uh, so, like, my next long question uh, is about verbatim theater and the use of real life. Work. This has confounded people who have tried to give your work awards because they don't know what category to to put it under. It's clearly art. It's theater, but it's also journalism. You aren't screwing with people's words. You are performing them as spoken. So it's a documentary project. Do you consider yourself a, a journalist? And, and do you ever, did you ever want to tweak? Did you ever want to clean anything up or, or, or make things a little, a little tidier as you were going through? Or is it that, that real life words are the, the most powerful? Well, that is a very uh, good question. A, a, what you'd have to take a course with me to get the full. I went to NYU just at the wrong time. On the oh, okay. So yeah, uh, I'd like to, I'll come back and audit, but come back and audit. I'm teaching and I'm teaching next, uh, next semester. Um, I believe that some people, and it has absolutely nothing to do with education, are incredibly gifted communicators. And it's not just what they say, it's how they say it and how they move. So when I wrote Twilight, I tape, everything was tape recorded. Technology has gotten good enough that my plays in the 2000s, I also was able to videotape. So I learned not just words, but gestures. And that's what I'm looking for. Bertolt Brecht, a German playwright, mm -hmm. wrote an essay called Street Scene, in which he held that if you, like if there was an accident in the street and you went out in the street and you asked people what happened, they would automatically start to perform to tell you. Because when words aren't efficient enough, people begin to perform. I'm a dramatist, I like catastrophe. I went to LA, I interviewed 320 people in the, in the wake of that riot, right? So people are dramatic. And so to me, I'm really, I am looking for the story in the way that a journalist is. Although I sort of tend to show up when they've all packed up their bags and gone home. Mm -hmm. But people still have a lot to say. Well, you're they about the story, not necessarily the news. I'm not the news. I'm not right. the news. That's fabulous. I love that you said that. I'm not <laughs> the news. The news is over. And I'm there like some kind of a cow, you know, chewing the grass <laughs> over and over again. And people, I, you know, they start to perform. And so those are the people, if you think about 320 interviews, that's a lot of hours of material. The, the people who end up being represented in the show are people who performed in a way. And I don't mean that as a lion. They right. really had to dig deep in themselves to, to really to try to make sense out of something that made no sense. Some people were traumatized. They're trying to restore dignity to themselves. And in all of that, it's very, very beautiful. And I think very hopeful that they want to talk about it and recount it. So, you know, I think of it now, what I do as um, I'm making portraits of, of individuals. Um, and, you know, I'm, when I was a kid, there were two things I wanted to be. When I was a really little kid, I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I saw West Side Story, the movie, and cried and cried and cried. My mother said, forget it. You can't be a psychiatrist. You're too sensitive. 
And by the time I was in high school, I wanted to be, and I don't know where I got this from, a linguistic ethnologist. So I've always been interested in language. And I think everybody's speaking a different one. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, but when you are able to funnel them all through your own voice, you you can see how these things that seem incredibly polarizing, people are people are having similar experiences, even if the outcomes feel like they are coming from completely different places. The human experience is something that we can share, even if the foundations are different and the outcome is different. The process is something that we kind of all go through. Yeah, 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 yeah. If uh, there but for the grace of God. <laughs> yeah. You, me, so everybody else. You, 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 like you said, you interviewed 320 people for this, and this is before you were Anna Devere Smith. So, I, how did you get them to talk? Were well, they I was kind of, I mean, so I became, you know, I sort of shifted from being this when I wrote Fires in the Mirror, which was about a different riot, right? Um, Crown, Heights. Riot in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, in a Black Jewish community. And actually, I don't think anybody would even know about me if it weren't for the LA riots, because the LA riots took place on the night of my dress rehearsal. So oh. I was about to perform Fires in the Mirror and I think people came streaming to the theater, the public theater, because they were really what they had in their minds was Los Angeles. And how, you know, when these things happen, like with George Floyd, say, how could that happen in our country? And people come to want to try to understand it. So I was a, you know, quote unquote, a little known professor from Stanford University when I wrote Fires in the Mirror. And, um, you know, I, I will say, and this is a shout out for theaters in general, is regional theaters, um, when well run, and the Mark Taper Forum, an iconic and extraordinary institution, was very well run by a man named Gordon Davidson, who just, he was a man about town. You know, he, if he didn't know somebody, he knew somebody who knew somebody who got me to the people. And then once you get started, as you know, you know, as you get, once you get started, if you talk to 10 people, you ask those 10, who else should I talk to? Like Blossoms, right? Yeah. I mean, did you get the sense that people were excited to go this deep? Like some, sometimes when I'm watching a man on the street interview, especially Brecht street scene style, like it feels like they're just dying to say what they saw. They're dying to tell their personal experience. But some of the things that you're getting, I mean, you're getting, you're talking to the people who were like the most directly impacted by what happened to Rodney King and the ensuing uprising. Was it, did you get the sense that they were relieved at being able to have a thoughtful, lengthy conversation with somebody about it? Or did it, did it still feel hard? No, I think people, that's the whole point, you know, going, you know, I'm glad you're picking up on this Breck thing uh, uh, of catastrophe. My, my thing is, and this also makes me different from a journalist. Two things make me different from a journalist. I trap, let me just mention that I wrote a play that did have a cast. It didn't go well. Um, it, in fact, it was so, didn't go so well that the morning after the a play opened, after the review, a woman walked up to me in the gym and said, F the Washington Post. I still love you. I mean, um, I read reviews, but that kind of gave me the idea. It didn't go well as far as the Washington Post was concerned. But to write <laughs> that play, I traveled with Clinton and Dole on their campaigns. And I interviewed a lot of journalists and hung out with them. You know, people say it happened after Watergate that, you know, people like the press corps around the president, you know, they are looking for the worst in people. They don't want to get caught missing something bad, right? right. I'm, I'm looking for the best in people. That's number one, because I, I want them to come forward and 
I, you know, and the other thing is I'm looking for the people who would scream it from a mountaintop. I just, I just happened to be walking by, right? And so there were plenty of those people in LA who were dying to tell me what happened. And then the other thing that happened, which was kind of really cool is here I am, this is back to your original way that you were talking about the one woman thing and where we are now and who can say what for whom and all this stuff. And I get this phone call. I don't know how they got my number. It was these two graduate students at USC and they were socio in sociology. And they said, we heard what you're going to do, Korean Americans. We heard what you're doing and we know you're going to get it wrong. I'm like, oh no. Oh no. And then they said, so we want to help you. And they took me around in their community and they translated for me. I mean, there's no way I would have gotten that story without their help. They were right there while I was doing the interviews. And that's- That is just amazing. I mean, right, you know, kids now talk about allyship. You know, I talk about coming out of the safe house of your identity. And not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody should. A lot of people should hold down the fort. But some of us, you know, need to just come right on out here and yeah. say, let, let me help you learn this complicated American story that nobody can learn on their own right now. Right. I mean, I should have had somebody in the hood. Twilight, who I named it after, was a gang member. Mm-hmm. Uh, and started and created the gang truce. And he helped me to some extent. But I remember going with my, you know, my assistant was just this sweet looking kid in this, our little whatever kind of car in, you know, this really rough, rough gang area. And a guy walked across the street when he saw us and said, what are y'all doing here? <laughs> you know, and it was like, let me walk with you. You do not belong walking around this neighborhood. So there's also the, the serious part of it that you basically need a fixer where you go. You can't go everywhere alone. Well, isn't that part of like cultural sensitivity reading? I mean, it, I think I think certain people should should step out of the box of their own identity to tell other people's experiences and how they interact with their own. I think that is one of the most important ways that art sort of blows open the the lid on on what we think the world is and what its boundaries are. But a lot of people are going to do that in a really insensitive, upsetting way that doesn't actually serve the conversation. And if you can recognize like I'm sure those students did with calling you, that you're somebody who would do it service if they were given the tools to do it correctly. And then providing those tools, that feels like the more sort of restorative path to get the productive art that we all know we need these days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's like, that was their initiative, right? I didn't even go knock on their door. They came to me and it was an extraordinary gift. That's just amazing. That's just an absolutely amazing story. I love it. Okay, so you are being inducted today into the Theater Hall of Fame for a lifetime achievement in the American theater. So I just wanted to say congratulations, one. And and what does what does that mean? You you look a little trepidatious. <laughs> what what is that achievement? I don't know what I'm going to say tonight. You know, <laughs> I, I haven't figured out what I'm going to say. It's so dangerous to start thanking individuals, right? Because you oh yeah, somebody. So it's lifetime um, achievement. You don't have to do individuals. You just talk about yourself, right? Oh no, I don't know. I think people like to be thanked. I mean, I like to thank people. I I I am surprised, honest to God. I am my mother. Uh, God bless her heart, my late mother, who would come wherever I was in America to see my little experiment before it took off. 
you know, she said to me, um, you know, one time, um, you know, I think you're before your time. Mm-hmm. And so one never knows if if one is, first of all, I didn't know I was, so I think she was absolutely right. We talked about the 1970s and I was, you know, experimenting with this stuff. Um, I think, uh, you know, for those people who are listening who are before their time at a certain point in their life, you just never know if you're going to be on time. You just never know. And so with Fires in the Mirror and Twilight, I lucked out, you know, I was, I was on time. I mean, you were, you were on time, but you were also like not of any, I mean, Twilight both, it, 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 it turns on the Watts riots from the sixties. Like it, it, it is a through line of American history and it is being repurposed right now, restaged right now because of George Floyd. Like this is, I kind of feel like you could have told a story at any point during your lifetime about America and gotten a similar outcome. Like, do you feel like we've made progress? Are we, are we any better than the first time that, that you staged Twilight? We're not, but that doesn't mean that we don't, well, there are some ways in which we are, um, you know, better vocabulary. Uh, well, and I should also say, we didn't put on this play because of George Floyd. The plan was it should have been on last year, but it wasn't because of the pandemic. pandemic. So, you know, th- I think this was planned in 2017 or something. Really, uh, Paige Evans at the Signature Theater was, you know, just, you know, asked me to be a resident playwright, which they do with lots of different playwrights and, you know, and, the, and they do work that has already been done. Um, there's so many ways that it's not better. It's, uh, but I think more things are exposed. My last play was on the school to prison pipeline. You know, how many black, brown, Native American and white poor kids are shoved out of school for disciplinary reasons, things that middle-class kids would be protected from. And, you know, it pretty much predicts they're gonna be in jail, right? And so I think it's, it's that we, that we are, learning the bigger story the, the 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 windows are opening the 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 shades are coming back it has a lot to do with technology it has a lot to do with you know look we're when i went to acting school it was all white men playwrights that is it so we have made strides in culture i meet people in the criminal justice system and in jurisprudence who are trying to do things differently so i would say the struggle continues <laughs> We are not fixed. I don't know why people expect it to be fixed. And I love this expression, the blood-stained banner of struggle. The blood-stained banner of struggle. That's what it is. And some people are into struggle. Some people want to close the curtains and live behind their walls. But I'm not going to down that because, you know, maybe they're taking care of somebody in there who's going to do something really, who's going to come out of their safe house of identity. I really, I, I, I love the way you look at things. Um, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Obviously, if you can go see Twilight, Los Angeles, 1992 with the signature right now, do it. Anna Devere Smith, thank you so much. Thank you, really, thank you. And by the way, I would love to uh, put, you would end up in a show of mine just because the sound of your voice has such wonderful resonance. And for learning stuff and listening to it over and over again, I do tend to go towards people who have a deep and rich resonance like you. Ah, oh, thanks so. No, I've been really excited to get more alto the older I get. I can't wait to see what I sound like at 50. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. <laughs>
Thanks for listening.